So I'm here in my room. I've got my computer on in front of me. I've got my microphone set up. There's a notepad open with notes about my podcast. It's time to rewind. It looks like they're on the 44th scene of Memento. It starts in black and white at 93 minutes and 48 seconds with Leonard talking on the phone about drug dealer Jimmy Grants coming somewhere by himself and ends at 99 minutes and 37 seconds with a Polaroid of Jimmy developing into color along with the rest of the scene. Uh, Hang on. Who is this? Bubba, it's me, Lisa Leahy from Rabbit Hole Podcast. Come on, you know me. I I host a show called Between the Scares, and we talk about everything that Jason Blum and Blumhouse Productions have put out. Come on. Oh, of course. Although I prefer to be called Bubba Wheat. And uh, and who is this? Bubba Wheat. It's me. It's Eric, the other co-host. And and my memory is not so great because I'm used to everything being in color and everything's in black and white today. I'm very confused. (laughs) Of course. Well... You know, thanks, thanks for, you know, coming back and, and being a part of this show this whole time. And yeah, this, we're coming up on the end. We just have two more episodes left. And because these are really, you know, connected, you know, we get this transition at the end of this black and white scene where it transitions from black and white into color without a real cut that joins these two timelines. So of, of course, I, I thought it was the the perfect opportunity to end with just the three of us, the you know mm. the same way that we began. And you know, I, I sent you all a, a group of pictures, and and I'll be sharing those in the Facebook group as well of like how these end scenes really mirror the the I guess it's not the opening scene, but the the first real forward color scene. And so yeah, I, I think you know the the cyclical nature of of this movie. It's perfect to end where we started. Absolutely. I agree. And, you know, we, we might as well, uh, like we usually do, just, you know, jump into the, the, the scene. And I, I feel like the, the opening of this scene is very economical, where, <laughs> where Leonard really gives a lot of information pretty quickly yes. about who Jimmy Grants is. Even though that he's a character that we already know of because he's because of his connection to Natalie and that he's coming to this place uh, by himself without Natalie. I think it's good because you have this balance, you know, it's not heavy with exposition. It's not, oh, yeah, this guy. Oh, yeah, he he goes to this bar and oh, yeah, he's got this girlfriend. It's not this whole thing. It's enough for us to like, if you weren't paying attention during the movie, let's refresh your memory real quick and make sure you know who this actually is. And, you know, it's it's just the right amount, I think. Yeah, it's 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 a big exposition sentence though it's like it, 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 it sums the whole thing up of what you need to know of it tying everything that's gone on but it's literally just one sentence and it does the job mm-hmm. and i'm sure somebody had to argue with him to get him to do it because <laughs> i'm sure somebody like you know nolan does not like to explain his stuff and i'm sure somebody was like yeah but you need to probably get yeah i don't want to tough on them they should be paying attention would be the argument i would put out there 
<laughs> and I'm not some famous, you know, brilliant director. But, you know, it, I'm sure somebody had to say to him, you know, there are people who are not going to be paying attention. And, you know, I don't know what they would be doing back then in 2000, because nowadays it's simply, well, they're going to be on their phone during your whole movie. Um, <laughs> back then, that wouldn't have been a thing. So who knows? So, you know, you have to wake up the kids in the back who are um, <clears throat> not paying attention. <laughs> yeah. And. Um, and we also get the information in, in this that, and, and I know that we, uh, especially Lisa and I have talked about where Teddy was calling from. Mm-hmm. And here we do get the information that he was calling from the lobby. Now, do you think that he's been calling from the lobby the entire time? Or do you think just this last phone call is from the lobby? I think it's this last phone call because he has to actually now get him to this location, right? Like before it was a lot of just passing discussions. There's no way that Teddy has been standing in this lobby talking about the things he's been talking about with Bert right there. There is no way. Maybe he was in his car. You know, maybe he was out somewhere nearby in a parking lot. But there's no I just can't believe that he would be standing there um and talking to him as a cop, you know, like you just, what do you do? You know, you can't, you can't do that with Bert standing right there. Um, if what we've learned about Bert is true, where he says, where Teddy tells us that, uh, Bert called Lenny in, um, when he saw him taking a photo of the place, you know, there's a scene early on with that. Um, Oh, no, it might be this one. <laughs> now that I think about it, it might actually be this scene coming up that we talk about later. Um, but whatever it is, like the idea that he he knows what's going on. Yeah, especially because um, about a minute into this scene, when uh, Leonard goes down and sees Teddy and he says, you know, Officer Gamble and, and, and Teddy looks at Bert with a very concerned look on his face like, yeah, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I really didn't want that information said to this guy sitting here. So this has to be the only phone call he makes from the lobby. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, before he comes down to the lobby, there is this uh, move that Leonard does. And he does this several times in these last couple scenes that I love where he and and it's something that I kind of do myself a lot where he holds the the Polaroid in his mouth. Mm -hmm. And like it, I think it's, you know, just I mean, he, he holds it with his teeth. I usually go just a little bit different. I usually, um, you know, try not to put anything I hold with my mouth all the way inside my mouth. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think the teeth is probably, I mean, I guess that's the safest place. You're going to get the smallest amount of, you know, mouth to item (laughs) contact. I think like if you're using your lips, you're going to be pressing your lips down on this thing and, you know, coming up with more contact. But, um, because I think I'm more of a teeth person. <laughs> I love that we're discussing this right now. <laughs> gripping, gripping with the teeth means less saliva on the item. See, this is what I'm saying. Like we actually have reasons for why we grip things the way we do with our mouths, which yeah, is a conversation you wouldn't think we'd be having. But you know. Yeah, I usually try to like um, you know roll my lips over my teeth so it's like the dry part of my uh, lips and not the the more inside saliva ridden part of my lips but <laughs> yeah but i've i had to point it out because there's at least two other times during these last two scenes where we see leonard holding a polaroid in the exact same way yeah. and it's it's also did you feel validated <laughs> about the way you hold things <laughs> a little bit 
and and also it's i think it's also worth noting that the way he holds in it it's always picture side down so that uh, the camera only sees the the black backing so we never really see exactly which polaroid he is holding in his mouth we just see that he's holding a polaroid I wonder if that's muscle memory of him doing it that way so no one else can see which Polaroid he's holding in his mouth. Oh, that's a good point. I've never actually considered the situation of why he, like, does he actually hold it that way specifically, or is that just the way it landed? I mean, it's never occurred to me at all. I mean, if he does it that way every time in the movie, yeah, 50-50 chance, you know, sure. Yeah. You could throw, you could flip a coin five times in a row and land tails all five times in a row. It could happen, but the it odds could aren't happen. with you. You know? It could happen 167 times in Rosencrantz right. and Guildenstern are dead. <laughs> How's that for a random English teacher reference? Uh, I love it. I've I gotta watch that movie again. I oh, I love it. It's the reason I, I teach Hamlet. Yeah, so I think I've seen it. Play. I think I've seen it once or twice, and it it was in high school English. Was yes. the first time I saw it. Me too. Yes, my senior English teacher, and now I do so many things that she did for us. So anyway, we're off topic again. <laughs> this is something that happens quite a bit with me, Eric, you've noticed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, one other thing that I noticed is, like, this, before he comes to the lobby, this this is really the first time in these black and white scenes that we see Leonard exiting his motel room, because the, this entire time it's we've been stuck in this claustrophobic motel room and especially towards the end like the anxiety has been like it it's really kind of been bearing down on us with this claustrophobic element and then as soon as he walks out the door we get this music cue which is this more mellow haunting melody which is very different from like the the very anxiety inducing music that we typically hear in these Mm -hmm. scenes well and not only that but we're um we're repeating something from an earlier color scene uh, when he is walking down this exact hallway before uh, going into the lobby at one point when he's got uh, Jimmy's clothes on and he does that sort of awkward adjustment of the jacket because it's too big. So now, you know, we're seeing him do this same exact walk, but in different clothes uh, in a different frame of mind. Yeah. And, and there is going to be a, a lot of mirrored elements from, from those early color scenes. It's, and you know, that, they are very intentional, and uh, we'll get into them more here in just a little bit. But but before we get to that, we get uh, this, you know, we get the creation of Len of Teddy's Polaroid. Mm-hmm. Finally, we see it. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know one of the one of the last pieces to fall into place. Not quite the last one, but we're getting there. Yeah, and and I didn't notice before, and and definitely haven't talked about it, but he's posing in front of Leonard's blue truck. Mm-hmm. He is. And he not only that, but he like moves because he was gonna just take a picture of him out in the open, but then he's like, you know, let's no, get a here. yeah, not here. Like, why do you think that he says that? Do you think that it's you know maybe a little bit more out of the way? Uh, maybe they're still kind of in view. From oh, totally the, in the... view. Yep. But why does that matter? Because I had the same question. I mean, why does it matter if someone sees these two randos having one one random guy on the street taking a Polaroid of another guy? I mean, he all he does is duck over about 20 feet over. I, I wasn't really sure why it matters if anyone did see him take his picture. I mean, my thinking is that 
you know, Teddy as Officer Gamble is is super cautious about who he is seen with. Because if he is a cop, if he is undercover or whatever it is that he's doing, whatever game he's playing here, he knows that Leonard is dealing with dangerous people and he knows that Jimmy has dangerous um, associates. You know, so like these are people who could come at them. And so if he sees them together, then it's more of a problem. Right. Because Teddy's running around and making these deals. You know, like uh, Natalie talks about how some guy came in looking for him and said his name was Teddy. And she knows that Jimmy goes to meet some guy named Teddy. Um, If somebody knows what Teddy looks like and then sees Leonard with Teddy, you know, because they know who Leonard is, it's going to create this. So I think it's just an overabundance of caution. And I can see, you know, certainly is it likely? Probably not. But somebody could see them together. You know, Bert could see them together. Bert's the one who's the eyes and ears of the place. Yeah, that's that's actually where I was going to go. And like we can't I was kind of looking through it again. It They don't like hang a hat on it or anything. But I do kind of get the feeling that maybe whenever he was taking a picture, it was potentially visible from the hotel lobby. So if Bert... Bert did happen to be looking out he might have seen him taking a picture of teddy and possibly clued in clued that into jimmy because he is connected to jimmy okay and i guess if leonard has a reputation now around town of that guy with the memory who's always taking polaroids if someone sees him taking a polaroid of teddy where now teddy is now connected to that guy who has the memory problems right yeah and like we can't i can't exactly tell but i i think you know, maybe they are just kind of going to the other side of the wall in this parking area. Yeah. And I mean, the, I, I, Teddy, I mean, you know, the, I, I think we've commented on the goofiness of Teddy's photo in <laughs> before. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm assuming he smiles goofy on purpose to somewhat ex- uh, make his face not quite so recognizable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not a bright, sunny area, so I can't figure out why else otherwise. <laughs> Yeah. I also liked the, you know, it's a very quick moment of as they're walking to the parking area that Teddy just, that they show that Teddy's a litter bug and he just throws his coffee cup on the ground, which is exactly what Teddy would do. I had the same exact note. It's like, this guy's so evil, he doesn't even throw his coffee cups in the garbage. Yep. (laughs) That's it. That's what he thinks of the area. I guess, well, first, the, another question about the Polaroid. This can't possibly be the first time he's taken a Polaroid of Teddy, considering if everything we end up hearing in the rest of this movie is true, they've known each other for a while. So has he just lost or burned or otherwise misplaced the photos he has of Teddy from the past? Like, why does he not already have a Polaroid of Teddy that says, this is Teddy, the guy I know, et cetera, et cetera? That's a really good point. Uh, and, and it's interesting to think about your possibilities. I think all of them could work. Um, and knowing where Leonard goes by the end of this movie, it's interesting because if he's so angry with Teddy, why wouldn't what happens have happened sooner? Yes. I mean, this could be us digging a little too far, but <laughs> perhaps it did get misplaced because he talks about muscle memory and you have to figure out that – 
somewhere along the line, he screwed up and realized, oh, I need to be doing this. Or he had that, you know, monkeys typing Hamlet kind of thing where some brilliance shined through one day and he realized, oh, let me make this big paper map and let me hang stuff up and tape them to this. And I don't know, like you figure that all of the different failed systems in the past, maybe that Polaroid or those other Polaroids got lost to it. I don't know. It's a really interesting question, Eric. Yeah, I think that... He could have lost it because we do see him misplacing things Mm. all over the place. Like, he loses his hotel key often. But I also think that there could be an element, because Teddy is kind of working um, under the radar, and he's, like, working with Leonard at this point, but he's also trying to keep his distance with Leonard. So I wouldn't be surprised if Teddy has maybe, you know, gotten his Polaroid, like, made sure that... Leonard didn't have his Polaroid at certain points in time, and now he's okay with it because, for one, that he doesn't want to raise suspicion about himself at this point, but also because he can tell that it, they're nearing the end game with this John G. So maybe it's it's okay that he has the the Polaroid again now. Mm. And then the other, the one other thing I wanted uh, to say about this part uh, of of the scene is. And I, and I feel like it ties in with the fact that he says this right after uh, he litters. Um, he's very nonchalant considering about what they're about to do, what he's about. He's having bringing Leonard about to do. And I'm going to get a little bit more into this in, in um, the next scene and then our next episode. But there's, a, you know, Teddy as a psychopath and, you know, the, the lack of emotion of he's so nonchalant as he's telling Leonard, you know, all right, we're going to go here and you're going to meet this guy when he knows what he's setting Leonard up to do. And mm-hmm. he just he, he just completely has no remorse whatsoever. Yeah, but I think a lot of that has to do with who they're going to find. And, you know, it, like you've said, it, this is something that he's been doing for a while And it's something, and I think you're right, like we'll talk about this more in depth with the next episode, but this idea that he has been steering Leonard towards certain people that generally wouldn't be totally missed, right? So Mm. like Natalie says, uh, yeah, people don't look too too hard for people like Jimmy, you know, Mm. like it's this idea of because he's guiding him because he sees Jimmy as this terrible person who does awful things to people. He isn't, he doesn't feel bad for him. I mean, and, and I think that's very purposefully done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he also, you know, as he's, he's going, he says, Hey, Lenny, make him beg. And then exactly. like, that's his line. And, and not only that, but again, talking about the mirroring, like not here, but whenever he does see, uh, going back just a little bit, whenever he sees um, Leonard come in, he does, he has a very similar, you know, he has the Lenny in Lenny, you know, kind of a, yes, exactly. in a very similar tone. Again, that mirrors the opening scene whenever he first see, like whenever we're first introduced to Teddy. Yeah. And, I mean, and if you think about the way Dodd interacts with Leonard during my favorite scene in the whole movie, like <laughs> he has no problem shooting Leonard. None at all. And so, like, these are not people who are going to consider who they're taking out or who they're beating up. So I think that also fuels Teddy's disregard of, you know, Jimmy's humanity. Yeah, and I do also, like, want to point out that 
this, like, in this moment, Leonard does not correct him. And, like, he doesn't correct the, the whole Lenny. It's, you know, the, he doesn't say the, I prefer to be called Leonard. And I think a lot of that is because uh, Teddy is presenting himself as a very different character. That's a good point. There's like this level of respect that Leonard is giving to this to Officer Gamble rather than Teddy, even though you know he does uh, directly instruct him not to write Officer or Lieutenant, just to write Teddy on the Polaroid, and he then adds the phone number. But there is this different level of respect. Because Teddy is presenting himself as a very different character than we see through the rest of the movie. And the other side of this is, you know, Leonard leaves that room with a scribbled down note describing an Officer Gamble. He doesn't have the Teddy post-it yet that we are used to him using all through the film. Um, so there's no reason why, like Eric said, you know, any possible previous Teddy Polaroid, that was a great alliteration, um, <laughs> wouldn't have, <laughs> I wish I could say I planned that, uh, there, he wouldn't have something to look at. So even though Teddy certainly recognizes Leonard, I think he does that Lenny recognition thing, but Leonard has no clue who this guy is. You know, like, there's no way he would recognize him. All he does, and you notice, like, he sees him, he glances down, and then it's like, oh, Officer Gamble, because he needed that cue to even think, oh, who am I meeting down here? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, moving on into the scene, we get this this slow pan in. And again, this this is another one of those mirrored moments as the, the truck pulls into this abandoned building. And it's the exact same music cue, the exact same framing. Uh, the only difference is it's in black and white. And I've, you know, I really love that, you know, it, that creating this cycle and, and, and I'm, I feel like I need to say it because of what this podcast is, but it, it it's like the, this time loop uh, where he's, <laughs> you know, literally repeating the same events over and over again, just without his knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I love this, like after he walks in, like we, we don't see it as much in the color scene because the, the framing is a little bit different where Leonard is blocking a bit more of the door. But uh, I just think that this, this shot with him standing in the middle of this uh, door frame in this, de- you know, decrepit hallway with the plastic and the, the backlight shining in is just gorgeous. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. Definitely. Nothing else to add to it, but just saying that I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, same. (laughs) I want to know why he's there with just a tire iron. I mean, he's he's there to kill the person he thinks killed his wife, and all he's got is a tire iron? Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that Jimmy doesn't come into this armed. Mm, Yeah. That is really true, especially because he's meeting some random dude. I mean, he's, he's meeting... Yeah, he's meeting Teddy, I guess, you know, maybe he, uh, like, from Jimmy's perspective, Teddy never really presented himself as a pon- as a potential threat, so he just kind of looked at this as just a, a standard drug deal. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so... Yeah, but still, I mean, I mean, if Jimmy's, you know, comes across as a fairly successful drug dealer, so you have to assume that he's not stupid and right. going prepared so even if he views teddy as kind of a goof and it's just your run-of-the-mill standard drug deal 
you would think he would always be armed. It's it, it, yeah, I, I gotta agree with you on this one because whatever scenario I kind of work through in my head, it's really not smart. Like you would think, oh, maybe he's not armed because oh, he's got backup. No, he goes out into the middle of nowhere <laughs> by himself. He's got this money in the trunk. We find out, and it like. Even if Teddy has spent weeks establishing himself as somebody, quote unquote, trustworthy, I still don't believe that Jimmy would have shown up unarmed. Right. It really yeah. is a big plot hole problem. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can definitely agree with that, especially like you're a drug dealer with $200,000 in cash in the trunk and you don't have any sort of protection at all. Like not even a knife, as far as we can tell. Yeah. And it's not like there's a gun in the car, because that never comes to, you know, mm. like, it's just, it's strange how all of this works. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's something that I, I never really put too much thought in until now. But yeah, I, I you know, I, I feel like this is the really one of the first major plot holes that that we've really hit upon in, in this movie. And, and I think in a way that's telling, because it. And pretty much everything else does kind of hold up and any any other sort of faults you can chalk up to it to the, you know, unreliable narration sort of details. But yeah, this one, I think it it is worth mentioning, although I think that it's this scene would would play out very different if Jimmy had been armed. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, my God, there would have been no movie. Or at least in the second half. <laughs> or it would yep. have been like uh, a lo- it would have been a longer fight scene because now they have to have the struggle over the gun before you get to Leonard uh, finally choking him. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> uh, and then uh, you know, as as Jimmy pulls up in in the Jag, we get we start to get these flashes of memory of uh, you know, Leonard's wife, and they're all just I, I think. It's it's interesting the way that they choose these memories because kind of like how whenever Natalie asks him to remember his wife, these are all you know, very just normal moments. These aren't like you know precious memories. These are just very simple memories of her just existing in different mm-hmm. ways. But at the same time, they again there's this mirroring element where he's like kind of piecing together these little memories that fit in with what is happening on screen. Like whenever he goes to the window to look at uh, Jimmy pulling up, mm-hmm. he has this flash of memory of his wife walking to the window to look out the window. Yeah, the editing in this sequence is just so pristine. I mean, it is so wonderfully put together. I mean, it's one of my favorite sequences to just look at and the the parallelism of it and just the structure of it is just so, so good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and he talks he talked um, to Natalie, not Natalie. No, I think it was Natalie where he talks about like the feel of a person, you know, yeah. like when you talk about how you remember somebody and it's just those small moments. It's the way their hair swished or it's the way they you know, adjusted their pajama pants, you know, as they got into bed or something like that. It's all these small little things. It's never those big precious moments like you were talking about. Right. And like the the second one we see is like her just leaning against a, um, 
you know, it, it's a very different time and place. But again, like her mirror, her motion mirrors Leonard's motion as she just is kind of sitting there and then she just turns her head and then it cuts back to Leonard turning his head in the exact same way. Yeah, it's just, oh, it's so good. Such a and, good sequence. Yeah, and, and then the, and then as, again, we get a third one as he's going up to the door and uh, again, it's, it's a different memory of, uh, of his wife walking to the, the door to get ready to open to it and to open it. And in the commentary, like Nolan talks about how it's like him kind of Frankensteining these memories in order to fit his situation, his current situation, kind of like it's, it's almost like he's bringing his wife into this moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. He wants her there for his re- revenge against Absolutely. her quote unquote killer. Yep. Yeah. And like the, the next one, comes just a little bit later like as he's about to uh, attack Jimmy with her turning around or like the like the second time that he goes to attack Jimmy uh, like she turns around like you know hey watch this and then like the last one as he's choking Jimmy out is the kind of the darkest one with because in in that situation it's almost like the role becomes reversed and it's the moment where she's in the shower curtain where she was being choked. So it's, it's like, and on all the previous flashes of memory, she was there with Leonard, but then the last one, the role gets reversed and it's almost like Leonard is the one choking his wife. And it's, it's this role reversal, which I, I think, you know, we get more into in this scene, but this is like the start of it where as he's choking Jimmy, he is becoming John G. <laughs> did, did I just blow your mind? <laughs> no, I mean, you've expressed it so clearly. I mean, I got nothing to add on this one. Yeah, I was just, yeah, I mean, all my comment was just like, you know, she, he, he chokes him just like he choked Catherine. Um, but uh, you said it much more eloquently than I would. Yeah. I mean, you know, nothing needs to be said. You got yeah. it. <laughs> and I, you know, I've, I've mentioned the commentary a little bit, and I, I do want to mention that this is where there is this branching commentary on the special edition DVD. And it's, I, I noticed that it's actually difficult to listen to correctly if you're watching on like certain media players, because the, the media players, at least the one that I was using, sticks to the, you know, title one, but the way that that that's branching commentary works is at a certain like from whenever it switches i think from track 13 to 14 it actually randomly switches to title two title three or title four where it finishes the rest of the movie and titles two three and four have three very subtly different commentaries they're like nearly identical except one hints that tell teddy is telling the truth like in the in the next color part of the scene, mm-hmm. one kind of hints that Teddy is lying, and one is fairly neutral about whether Teddy is lying or telling the truth. Mm. And then, but the one in on the title one track, if you're like watching it on a computer, it actually has this moment where the commentary track slows down, and then it plays the rest of the movie in reverse, and so you can't actually, you know, re- actually listen to it. 
whenever it's because it's it's all just you know backwards speak for the the last, the last like 15 minutes of the movie but i i think that's that's kind of fascinating the way that they did that and and especially because those differences are you know tend to be very subtle so like if maybe you're to, like two people are talking about the commentary they'll have slightly different experiences but you know, if they talk about it, it's like everything that he talks about is basically the same. It's just these very subtle differences. And I've, I also wanted to talk about this this location. You know, I mentioned that the cinematography is is gorgeous, like with oh, the, the hallway definitely. scene. But it it really is like a perfect location for this, like basically this murder house. <laughs> this is true. It's perfect and isolated. Hmm. And also just the decrepit nature and the, the plastic hanging down from the doors. It it really feels like a serial killer lair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I could see Leatherface walking around in there. <laughs> <laughs> There's no steel door for him to slam, though. <laughs> it's part of his whole shtick. Yeah, and then, um, you know, this this is really the first time that we're introduced to Jimmy Grant as a character and um and he's played by larry holden who is you know he's not he's just uh he only has like about 30 credits and they're all like these very minor roles Mm -hmm. and and various things so you know he never went on to to do much and uh he passed away in uh, 2011 at the age of 50 yeah and uh but i you know, I think he he does great as Jimmy. He looks, it's he has such a different look wearing the same suit and shirt mm-hmm. as Leonard because he and I think the porn stash I think is doing a lot of work. <laughs> the, the handball porn stash, entirely true, and, and the mullet too. It, it really gives him a, a much more sleazy vibe. Where definitely. You know, Le- Leonard wearing almost the exact same suit looks much more polished and put together and classy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting you said that because to me, uh, yeah, Jimmy wearing it kind of looks like a scumbag. And but uh, as we talked about multiple times, Leonard it looked a little frumpy in it because it was too big for him. Right. You mm-hmm. know. But yeah, he just you know the clothes. We've seen Leonard in these clothes the entire movie, and you never thought of, you know, sleaziness. But for some reason, on Jimmy, yeah, he, he looks sleazy in those clothes. Yep. And that they did actually have two different suits that they made, and Jimmy's is, you know, cut a, a lot tighter, where Leonard's is cut a lot looser. And there's also the slight difference where Jimmy wears the the blue shirt collar pulled up over the top of the suit jacket. Yeah, that's a look. Le- that's an interesting yeah. look. <laughs> Where Leonard has wears it with the the shirt collar tucked inside the coat. Well, you know, Leonard wears it. Business-y. Leonard wears it the way a normal human wears it. <laughs> he exactly. wears it the way you know a quote unquote uh, respectable professional wears it. I, I, I've I've never yeah. worn a shirt the way Jimmy wears that shirt. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> it, it also feels like kind of seventies. So. Yeah, it's like a loser suit, you know. Like yeah. this guy is definitely from a different era. <laughs> and. The other thing I, I noticed, um, I, I just, you know, caught, kind of saw my notes jumping around just a little bit, going back to the flashbacks, is the, you know, the final flashback of, um, like, the, I, I think whenever she's being choked, the 
the actual background sound gets muted a little bit. And so we're more, as the audience, we're more into the flashback scene and the real life scene gets muted slightly. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's it's indicative of Leonard's focus. Mm-hmm. You know, he's much more living in the past than he is in the present. Right. And uh, during this fight scene, it, it goes by pretty quickly, but there is this moment whenever he's choking Jimmy where uh, Jimmy, like, claws at his face, and, and that is the uh, where the creation of the two scratches on his cheek come from. Mm-hmm. Again, one of those those final puzzle pieces falling into place. Yep, it's all coming Like, together. checking off the little yep. the list, you know? Yeah, and and then and also going back to the whole mirrored element, I think the you know the entire way that Leonard attacks Jimmy is the exact same way that he attacks Teddy, where he you know he hits him and then he drags him down the hallway, and even the scene where he's choking Leonard is shot at the same angle as his fight with Teddy whenever he's holding the gun to his face. Like these are all shot for shot uh position for position this does have the the slight like it's not exactly the same because in this one we do get this uh this prolonged moment of this conversation with jimmy that that we don't really get with the the teddy scene in the beginning but the rest of it is so much beat for beat that it's 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 almost scary it's it is almost again like like this time loop, this muscle memory that you can tell that this is quite possibly something that he's done multiple times that he has like, he has this method that he uses. Like I could see him attacking somebody the exact same way with the previous fake John G's. Yes. He doesn't even realize it. He's the, the muscle memory is there that when, when he is in this situation and it's time for him to finally kill John G his, his body goes into, uh, you know, um, not, not remote control mode, but just, you know, the, the standard method that his autopilot, autopilot that's thanks. Yeah. 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 His body goes into autopilot and just, and, and this is how it happens. Which is fascinating because as far as he's concerned, this is the one and only time it's been done. So it's interesting to think about his body's muscle memory here, whereas his actual memory thinks this is the one and only time. Yeah. Like, he's so good at it, and he's so capable of doing it, and he just chalks that up to the rage he's feeling. Mm -hmm. And again, we, you know, we've talked about, uh, talked a lot about the lack of emotion. And And I do think that for the most part, there is still this lack of emotion. There's really only like two moments of anger in, in this whole scene. And like, you know, you get one moment with kind of the initial attack and then you have the, the moment with the final attack. But other than that, he, you know, he comes back down to neutral pretty quickly. And I think the only other thing really that I have in this scene, uh, which I don't, really have any specific notes about it but i do like this conversation with jimmy like as you know i i love the progression as jimmy's like trying to talk his way out of it and then you can see the gear gets switched Mm -hmm. as like whenever he asks whenever leonard asks for him to take off his pants and he realizes oh i'm i don't want to get get blood on this yeah this is not good yeah well i guess i'm 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 
Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't start freaking out until we get to that point. But he has right. no problem when he says, you know, take your shirt off. And he doesn't say why then. He doesn't seem to have a problem doing it then. So it, I'm wondering why he didn't seem to care too much when he made him take his shirt off. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. Like he really I think he just is confused. He thinks he's mm. going to steal his clothes or something. But mm. um, I, I think when he says, you know, I don't want to get blood on them is when he really is like, right. oh, hang on. Right. Yeah. And, you know, he just, he does this great job of uh, this, like, basically pleading for his life. And then this is where he mentions the, the $200,000 in the trunk of the car, which, you know, starts to raise some red flags. But, you know, he's too, Leonard is too much in the moment at this point, And he's kind of too far gone that it's not enough to dissuade him from his purpose. And again, you know, after he takes the, the Polaroid, he puts it back in his mouth as he, he starts changing. Mm -hmm. And again, we get this, you know, this start of him basically becoming this new John G. Well, he's becoming the character that we have seen the whole movie now. Yeah. And, um, like I, I do have a bit of notes for it, I think, in, in the next scene. But uh, I, th I think I think we can talk a little bit about it now. But do you think that he has done this with other previous John G's? Like, do you think that the the flannel suit, or I mean, the flannel shirt, the vest, and the blue truck came from the previous John G? I'm gonna say yes because I just don't see a pre-accident Leonard being the kind of guy that would drive that kind of pickup truck. And so that means he picked it up at some point after the accident. And where else would he get that other than something like this, where he gets a car that he doesn't realize isn't his from some other unsavory person, especially with what we're about to find out in uh, the next scene. Yeah. And, and we talked about at the beginning that, that the truck is definitely not something that he had pre-incident because he would have remembered it as his right. car because that, that would have been in his yep. memory. I, 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 I'm still kind of stewing on the possibility. I think you're right. I think it probably is from a former John G. Um, because he takes on a new persona with each new set of clothes and car. Um, and so I think that there's, there's any number of abandoned cars and piles of clothes kind of left behind all over the place when you really start thinking about where Leonard has been and, as Teddy says, who he's become. You know, I think that's yeah. something that's really an interesting road to go down. And and I think, you know, I, I feel like something else that is, is a good argument for this is that there is really no explanation. Like, there's no commentary on why he's changing the clothes. He's just doing it. And again, it's, it's, it's almost like it's part of his muscle memory that he's done this every other time. So, of course, he's doing it now. He's not even thinking about it. He's just doing it. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the last thing is, is how this scene ends, which, again, it's it's kind of, it's mirroring the opening scene, only this time it's going in forward, and it's not in real time this time. It, it's, you know, it's uh, sped up, so we're not looking at this uh, this Polaroid being developed for a minute and a half. Uh, instead, it, it's just, you know, sped up to a good, you know, five seconds or yeah. so. The seam is so beautiful, though. Like, I just, yeah. I mean, when I show it to students, like, half of them don't even see it. 
they don't see the fade to color. It is the spot on perfect place for the two narratives to come together. Yeah, and even in the commentary, Christopher Nolan mentions that a lot of people don't consciously realize the shift into mm-hmm. color. It's like, you know, they they know that something is different, but they don't catch this transition from black and white to yeah, color. Yeah, I mean, like, you get partway into the next sequence, and you're like, hang on, when did this change to color? You know, it, it, it's how it works for me with, like, um, like a long tracking shot. Like, you get halfway into it before you go, wait a minute, when's the last time I saw an edit? And you start rewinding, as we film nerds do. Um, you know, it's the same idea. Or or also, you know, bringing it into the present. It, it's a lot, it lot like, uh, if you've seen any of these, like, TikTok or Instagram reels, these, like, short videos of somebody, like, doing something. And, and at the end of it, it's like, uh, did you notice that my shirt is now green? Like, in... And it started off as blue and they, they have the thing where they, you know, visually like they subtly change the gradients through over the course of the entire, um, you know, short video and you don't notice it, but then until it loops back around and then you notice the, the color jump from like green back to blue. Right. I mean, you're not, you're not looking for it. I mean, it's a matter of awareness, but you, it's not the kind of thing that, people are aware of you know you're focused on one thing um as this is you know this polaroid is fading into existence let's say you know so you're not looking at the difference of the fact that we were in black and white and you go to color i mean england had a whole uh series of of traffic commercials focused around this um that i use with freshmen you know like it's about um you know, being driving in traffic in the nice weather and looking out for people on bicycles or motorbikes, you know, because when you're in traffic, you're looking for cars, you're not looking for motorcycles or bikes. Um, and it's it's this classic video of, you know, a white team and a black team uh, like T-shirts playing basketball or whatever it is. And, you know, how many passes does the team in white make? And meanwhile, there's a bear that moonwalks through the pile of people. You know, and it's like, and you don't see it because it says, you know, you only see what you're looking for, you know, and this is an exact move on that part of our brain. Like, this is stuff that psychology has studied. When you're told, look at this Polaroid, you're not looking at the color surrounding, you're not thinking about any of that. Um, so I think it's just a brilliant use of, again, Nolan is so good at making these films and it's more than just telling a story. It's involving the audience and thinking very precisely about what the experience is for the viewer and how to manipulate the viewer and get them to trust you completely so that you're able to um, jar them later with, well, you weren't looking. You know, like, and I think that's just what's going on with Leonard. He thinks he's in control. He thinks he understands everything. But sorry, Leonard, you weren't looking. You know, I, I think it's brilliant. And not only that, but we've spent the last 90 to 100 minutes with very specific cuts from the black and white to color, the black and white to color. Right. So we're not expecting there to be this transition from black and white to color because we have not seen it done this way in this movie at any point before. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah. You know, that that wraps up my notes. Is is there anything else that you, either of you wanted to talk about this scene? Nope. I think nope. we're good. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you both for joining me and for sticking with me for this, this entire season so far. We've got one more episode 
to do to wrap up this movie. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy that it, that we finished it, but uh, again, sad that it's coming to True. an end. But, uh, I will see everybody back in, in just a few days. And, and until next time, you know, I'm, as always, I've been Bubba Wheat, and you can find me on Twitter where I'm at Bubba Wheat, and you can find this show, It's Time to Rewind, on uh, all the podcatchers that you listen to, as well as anywhere else that that you listen to podcasts. We also have a Facebook group, and you can join that to discuss episodes as they come out, and that's also where you can see these uh, the screenshots to show like how mirrored these these scenes are between the the between him attacking teddy and him attacking jimmy i i will definitely share those on the facebook group when this episode comes out and uh until next time uh i assume i've already told you about memento oh only every time i see you your pants too why i don't want to get blood on them Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Did he tell you what I was bringing? Take your f***ing pants I've off. Got, I've got 200, 200 grand stashed in the car. Just take it. What? Just take it.